0: Dave and Ryan's movie review and action.
1: Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan. Two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax. Because the show is about to begin.
0: Cue Dave and Ryan in three Two One
1: It's Dave and Ryan's Movie
0: Review Sponsored
2: by Nobody Hello and welcome into another episode of Dave and Ryan's Movie Review You gotta love it when you get to go see a Denzel Washington movie Anytime you get a a new Denzel Washington movie is a good week, I think
3: Oh yeah, you gotta love the Denzel Denzel! That's, That's just how I
2: feel So We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment with, you know, a, our movie review, but right here we got to go to Hollywood.
1: Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard, the place of glitz, glamour and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood.
2: All right. First up, and I found this kind of interesting. Studio and Writers Guild of America leaders are going to join Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and other tech titans at a Senate AI forum. So this is going to go on in September, and a gallery of industry CEOs, like, as I just mentioned, uh, Mark Zuckerberg will be there. Uh, The gentleman from Google is going to be there. They're going to have an AI forum in September. And I just thought that it was funny that, you know, the Writers Guild of America who is fighting against AI being part of what they have to deal with every day, is jumping into a room with the guys that are creating the technology to improve it and make it better.
3: Yeah, you know, I think that the uh, Writers Guild is going in this kind of thinking, you know, put limitations on it and, you know, limit what the AI can do compared to, uh, you know, just have it do absolutely everything. I think that might be kind of their mindset going in, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how it all turns out. It will be, and, and once again, that'll be coming up in September, and
2: that's really the only news that we have about a strike right now. There is nothing going on. Nope. Nothing at all. And as that you know, the end of the year starts looming and getting closer, I mean, we, we talked about it either last week or the week before. If, if they don't get something resolved by the end of the year, now you're going to start messing with summer blockbusters for 2024. And that's, that's a concern, especially when studios are looking at how much money they're not making right now.
3: Yeah, this, this last summer was not a, good, not a good summer for movies. And hopefully this holiday season coming up will do a lot better.
2: That's true, and that leads us right into this. Uh, Ferrari. Michael Mann's Ferrari gets a seven-and-a-half-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival for its world premiere. Uh, I watched this trailer for it. It looks awesome. I, you know what? I What can I say?
3: So you're telling me an Italian car movie got a standing ovation in Italy.
2: Yep. Hard to believe, huh? <laughs> I know. I know.
3: I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I think, it's just
2: kind of funny. I think it looks good. And, and like I told you, when I'm watching the movie, this is one of those movies that I think is going to play really well on like a big IMAX screen. Plus, you've got the sound because there's racing, and I, I think it's going to be really good. Uh, Adam Driver plays the title character, Enzo Ferrari. Of course, he was a race car driver yeah. and then created the car that we know today. Yeah. Uh, so he's, it's, uh, along with him for the ride on this one is Penelope Cruz and Patrick Dempsey, which it might be it's kind of fun to see that Patrick Dempsey in something. I've yeah. seen him for a little while. Yeah, I haven't seen him for. That'll a while. come out at Christmas time, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one as a great way to spend some time uh, during the Christmas holidays. There. All right, last week's box office. Let's start out with number five. How about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem? Pulled in seven point two million dollars for the week, bringing its domestic total to ninety nine point three million. So not too bad. Not no, too bad not at all. Um, The movie Oppenheimer is at number four with $8.2 million, bringing in $299.2 million for its domestic total. You know the interesting thing I found out? I read an article the other day. Oppenheimer didn't open in China until August 30th. Really? I wonder why. I don't know. Could be interesting to see what that market thinks of that movie. And they still have not set an open date or even talked anymore about it opening in Japan. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, why would they? <laughs> I, I don't
2: know. All right, number three was Blue Beetle, twelve point one million, bringing its total to forty five point seven million. Barbie, the number two movie, with fifteen point one million, bringing its domestic total to five hundred and ninety two point eight million, and I now believe that Barbie is the highest grossing movie. To come out of Warner Brothers Studios.
3: Yeah, it's doing amazing,
2: doing amazing. And then number one last week, Grand Turismo, the movie we reviewed last week, brought in seventeen point four million dollars. So there's your your box office for last week. It'll be interesting to see how it all you know kind of boils out this week. Plus, this is the last really big week for the box office with it being uh, Labor Day weekend.
3: Yep, school started. You know, you, you can't go see the movie during the week anymore. It's just during the weekend.
2: That's true. And this is actually when they stop calculating uh, numbers for summer movies. Yep. Is this weekend. So we'll see. If there's a movie out there, go out and see it. You know, your 1050 could make the difference. Exactly. All right, so this week's show, we're going to talk all about The Equalizer 3. Great movie. We just went and saw that on Thursday. Football movies. The football season, college has started, and the NFL season gets going next week. So we thought we'd better cover some football movies. And then we'll revisit something that we've talked about earlier, and it is CGI versus practical effects. And we took kind of a different skew on this one, and we went and found uh, some of the best practical effects and the most unnecessary CGI effects. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. But before we get there we got to have an honest movie review.
0: It's now time for another honest movie review. Today we go back to 2002 for the sci-fi comedy The Adventures of Pluto Nash starring Eddie Murphy. 239,000 miles from Earth In the blackness of space, there is a giant rock called the Moon. And in the year 2087, its future will be in the hands of one man. (laughs) Eddie Murphy is. Pluto Nash.
3: Pluto? Pluto Nash. It is a pleasure to meet
0: me. I'm curious as to who would actually watch this movie. I was forced to. You have a choice. This might be the worst movie of all time. And yes, I'd seen The Flash. Can't wait to speak with you again next
2: week. All right, I've got to be totally honest. This movie, (laughs) when it first came out, everybody panned it so horribly. I have never seen this movie.
3: Yeah, and and I've seen The Flash, just like she said. (laughs) Right? Right. But but here's the thing about
2: that, and I think that that movie really started kind of a downward spiral for Eddie Murphy.
3: Yeah, when when this movie came out, I saw it in theaters. I didn't see any advertising for it at all. Um, uh, uh, Eddie Murphy didn't want to do any sort of advertising for this movie. No publicity at all. He even knew it was bad. And this is when he did the whole... The Monk Thousand Word thing and uh, Norbert and all that stuff. So this was kind of, I wouldn't say a desperate time for Eddie Murphy, but he was definitely needed some money.
2: Well, and I'll tell you what. The one thing that I've been waiting for, I did not, I'll be honest, I did not hate his movie that was on Netflix with Jonah Hill. Uh, where Jonah Hill is going to marry his daughter and now the name escapes me. I can't remember what it was I called. I
3: remember that one. I, I know uh, he was in... Uh, it was a
2: Netflix movie.
3: Yeah, I know there was um, uh, he was kind of like an '80s uh, pimp. Uh, oh, Dolomite! My Dolomite, name is Dolomite,
2: yeah. and that he got pretty good reviews for that yeah. one. Yeah, my name is Dolomite, and there is still rumors out there that I that should almost be ready to roll. Netflix is is producing a Beverly Hills Cop four.
3: Yeah, I've heard that for a few years now. I'll believe it when I see it. Right. You know Eddie Murphy. You know definitely shouldn't be the the main character in that. You know he should be more of a mentor, because you know let's face it, he's he's getting pretty old.
2: True, and I'll be totally honest. I did not hate Coming to America.
3: I have not seen that one
2: yet. The sequel. So uh, you know what? Uh, here we are, hoping for a hit for Eddie Murphy. That's all I can yep. say. All right, we'll come right back with the Equalizer three
0: movie review. So stick around. Everyone on set, shut up. shut up. Shut up. These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's Movie Review, Segment 1. Action.
1: What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it, so you're the first to hear about it. And this week's latest release is The Equalizer 3. Starring Denzel Washington. Robert McCall finds himself at home in southern Italy, but he discovers his friends are under the control of local crime bosses. As events turn deadly, McCall knows what he has to do and kill his friend's protector by taking on the Mafia. Let's see what Dave and Ryan thought of The Equalizer 3, which is rated R, and playing nationwide. Okay,
2: so we went and saw this movie on Thursday, and I'm going to tell you, I like this one. We'll talk more about that towards the end of it. Um, Of course, this deals with Denzel Washington as Robert McCall, uh, affectionately known as the Equalizer. This this character has been around since 1980-ish television on CBS. Edward Woodward was the coolest old man on the face of the planet when I was a kid. Because he drove a Jaguar. (laughs) And I love that show. It has also since morphed into another series on CBS with Queen Latifah that's on right now. Uh, We had now, this is the third movie with Denzel Washington playing the title character. And this one, I'm going to say this, and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. This is Uh a fitting wrap-up for his character.
3: Yeah, yeah, Um you know, Denzel, great actor, but he's get, he's getting up there in the age. Uh, I think uh, when we looked it up, he was 68 years old. You know, he can't be doing, you know, the stunts you used to be doing at that age. You know, um, I know it, I was talking with uh, Jordan. Um, the most athletic thing he did in this movie was walk upstairs with a cane. It was. And, and, and he had what, to though? stop halfway up. And honestly,
2: you got to look at it this way. There are guys that would be like, no, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we'll just have a double do it. And yeah. I I would like to think in my heart of hearts that Denzel's like, no, we're doing it this way because I am getting older. The character's getting older, yeah. and this is what he would do.
3: Yeah, I don't see, I don't recall any part in the movie where they used a a, a double
2: at all. No, and there was no need for it. No. So anyway, this finds him in southern Italy, and he has finally decided that he's going to relax, calm down, and make this his home until yeah. people start messing with his friends.
3: Yeah, he was, he was in Sicily, wasn't
2: he? Well, that's where the movie opened, was in yeah, Sicily. Yeah, okay. And the other thing about the opening of this movie, the first two to three minutes of this movie are going to tell you the road that you're about to go down.
3: Yeah, you're you better buckle up because you're in for a ride. It
2: is a it is a house of horrors, yeah. literally. So you'll you, you, that'll get you ready for it. Um but of course, you know, he just gets tired and that's the way he is. He, in his character is. He is tired of seeing other people push little people around that can't defend themselves. And he has a particular set of skills <laughs> and he takes care of business and that's yeah. what he does everywhere.
3: Yep, and this movie does it as well. You know, he's in this nice little town, just relaxing, getting to know the people, loving the town. They're starting to accept him as one of their own. And then, of course, the mob comes in and ruins everything. And
2: one guy takes down the mob. Yep. And he can do it because he's the equalizer. Yes. But I, I think the, the poignant part of this, I was kind of explaining the movie to my wife, and I said the poignant part of this, and really where this whole movie hinges on, is at the beginning of the movie, he's pretty messed up. And this yeah. doctor takes care of him. And then a little and during that first scene, the, the doctor asks him, are you a good man or are you a bad man? Yep. And he tells him, I, I don't know. And later on in the movie, that comes up. And, the, and he asks the doctor, why did you take care of me? And, and they have that partial conversation again. He goes, Do you remember what you told me when I asked you that question? And he says, yeah, I told you, I don't know. He said, that's what a good man would say. And, and then he finally gets to the point where, you know what? He is now at peace. He is um, where he's supposed to be. That's, a, yeah. that's like a big theme through the movie. Yeah,
3: he almost has a girlfriend. He
2: almost has a girlfriend. She it's all about the hat. hat.
3: Yeah, loves the hat.
2: So it, anyway, um, you know, the, one of my favorite scenes in this, and they always have them in these movies, uh, the, the restaurant scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. He's just <laughs> sitting there minding his own business, trying to eat a meal, and these guys come in trying to shake somebody down and and he kind of takes care of them. That's all I'm going to say.
3: Yeah, well, he just stand sitting there staring at him and they're like, "What are you looking at?" <laughs> yeah. And then he showed him what they were looking yeah. at.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, and he just he kind of just goes into the speech about, you know what? I have found my peace, and I'm not going to let you ruin that, basically, is what he tells the guy.
3: I asked you to leave nicely. That's right.
2: (laughs) Just remember that I asked you to leave nicely. Um, The movie goes through. Of course, there's another big bad in this. Of course, the CIA is on his tail, because I think we have derived through three movies that that's who he used to work for.
3: I would say some sort of organizing. I wouldn't say the CIA in particular. Maybe kind of a um a dark organization that's affiliated with uh, the government but it's
2: kind of off the books yeah gi joe. joe so anyway the cool thing about this movie that i thought and and there were articles that were written and him talking about it because he couldn't talk enough about uh, dakota fanny is the female lead in this movie
3: yes and i had a hard time figuring out who she was The whole movie, I was like, she looks so familiar.
2: And this is the first time that they've been on screen together since Man on Fire. And that's a good movie as well, if you've never seen that one. So she is great in this. Um, Another face that you might recognize is uh, Roy from The Office. David Denham is the guy's name. Because you're going to look at him and you're like, I know him from somewhere. Yeah,
3: you're going to do the same thing I did with Dakota Fanning. I know that
2: guy. And and you're going to have to IMDB in the middle of the movie theater. I just took care of it for you. That's who it is. Yeah. He's not in it very much, but you'll recognize him and, and you'll know who he, he is. He's
3: like, he's like the partner of Dakota.
2: Kind of, yeah. So anyway, you're talking about an hour and 49 minutes. not a terribly long movie. And it didn't play that long either, really.
3: No, no. It went by uh, relatively smooth. There was no... Part in the movie where I was like, this is taking forever. It went very well. It
2: it went and it traveled on through. But if you ever want to see one man take down the entire mafia, yeah. this is the movie for you. And because of that, I gave it three out of five popcorn buckets. And I'll tell you why I went three. There are parts in this movie, even though I liked it, there are parts in this movie that are very predictable. Um, it's It happens in every action movie. There's just scenes where you know what's going to happen before it happens, and the fight scene at the end is either the coolest thing I've ever seen put on film, or it is the most anticlimactic fight scene (laughs) ever put on film. I can't decide which, but like I said for that, uh, for the predictability and and things like that, I gave it three out of five popcorn buckets, but this was a great movie, and and I suggest you go see it.
3: Yeah, you know, and for me, you know, the story was predictable because, you know, most action movies are you know you have the hero who doesn't want to be the hero anymore then something happens and so he's got to come back and save the day uh but overall you know the cinematography in this movie was amazing i just loved the lighting how they lit everything and uh the end fight scene with the shadows was really cool um (laughs) and even when uh the guy was dying and he was basically walking him down the street you know the lighting in that alleyway and all that street. You know it was amazing. So I gave this three and a half popcorn buckets.
2: And uh, you know what? The other thing too that we we touched on about it in the the YouTube review, but we didn't touch on the locations.
3: Oh yeah, it was beautiful. Locations. Beautiful
2: scenery, beautiful locations, and if you're a. Uh, a Godfather nerd like I am, you're going to find a lot of references.
3: Yes, there was a lot of... I, throughout the whole movie, I'm just waiting for the Godfather sound. Uh, the the theme, theme. The theme to start the Godfather slowly. Waltz. Like when the, the cars blew up, you know, you're just waiting for that...
2: It, it never happens, no. but if... If you know your godfather inside and out, you're going to pick up on him. Yeah. So once again, great movie. Go see this one. If that's not your speed, well, at the King Cole Theater, there is uh, Meg to the Trench is also there, yeah. and Gran Turismo is also there as well. The Price Theater is now closed for the season. She still will you know, let you book parties there and events and things like that. You just got to get a hold of Val Johnson down there at Price Theater's. To take care of all that So there you have it The Equalizer 3 Go see that one Coming up We're going to talk Football movies
3: Football
0: Hey idiots We're back from commercial Dave and Ryan's movie review Segment 2 And action
1: The season's changing Summer is almost over And that means one thing It's time for football And let's be honest, your team probably stinks. Unless you're one of those dreadful bandwagon jumpers that I can't stand. Because at the end of the season, there can only be one champion. That's a reality check, isn't it? Yep, your team has no chance of winning the big game. But to get you set for the football season, let's talk about some of the epic gridiron movies that Hollywood has produced over the last, I don't know, Five decades, Dave, Ryan, have at it.
2: So when we approached this topic, I kind of, you know, the thing about football movies is you have some that are very off the wall, Mm -hmm. and then you have some that are based in truth. So I kind of tried to break it down by that into a couple of different sections. Uh, The first ones we're going to talk about are the ones that are kind of based in truth. So I, I called this part of it. You can't handle the truth. All right? Ooh, I see what you did there. Because it's always, you know, it's interesting to always have sports movies, yeah. for the most part, are, are some tri- some type of fact-based. There's truth to to a lot of sports movies because we deal with it and we live it every day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay.
3: Y- usually the you know, true stories are the best stories.
2: All right. So first up, 2000, Remember the Titans, Denzel Washington, Will Patton, and get this, Ryan Gosling, yep. Donald Faison, and Hayden Panettiere was in this movie. Yeah. So this is a true story about a newly appointed African-American coach at his high school in their first season in this, and, and they it was a racially integrated team. Yes. So that's what this movie really covers.
3: Yeah. I remember when this uh, movie came out, I was in high school at the time, and uh, my football team actually went as a team to go watch the movie, and... We all loved it. It was, you know, it's a great inspirational story about coming together, working together and, you know, there's no individuals on a team, especially on a football team. One player can't win the game. You got to work as a team. You got to come together and you got to you got to strive
2: and once again, this was, you know, one of those Denzel Washington movies. Yes, that, uh, Denzel! I know when it first came out, even though he was a football coach in it, although he never did, there was there was Oscar buzz for him in this movie when it first came out. But uh, remember the Titans, that one was from the year 2000. Next up for me, Friday Night Lights. This one came out in 2004, had Billy Bob Thornton, Tim McGraw, and and Carney Britton in it. It's based on the story of Perriman... Uh, texas or Paramount high school in odessa texas it's a town of course and texas that's where high school football lives and dies
3: yeah i i was never a big fan of friday night lights and you know i never watched the series you know it just you know just wasn't my thing you know as a football movie you know friday night lights it was good you know it's about a team who didn't start off the season well you know um i remember one of the Memorable scenes is when uh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character, the coach, goes home and there's all these for sale signs in his yard.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and that's but that's that's high school football in Texas. Yeah. You either win or you're out. And it's always funny. You know, you get I think there was a scene in there where him and his wife, Connie Britton, are walking out of like Walmart or a grocery store or something. And this guy stops and, and tries, you know, starts giving him coaching advice. And telling what do you think and things like that, but that's that's the way it is. They live and die with high school football, in Friday Night Lights. The funny thing about Friday Night Lights for me, and this is a spoiler alert if you've never seen the movie, if you think it's going to be a feel good movie, it's not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: I mean, yes, they come together as a team and and this and they you know persevere and yeah, come over they just, some things, they just but fumble at the at the goal line. And yeah, the 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 last the last game of the movie. You think it's a lock, and you'll be very shocked yeah. with the way it turns out. Um, the next one, and this is one of those movies that grown men, even men my age, will admit that they cried watching, came out in 1971, and this is a made-for-TV movie, but it's Brian's song. Yep. It's uh, with uh, James Caan, Billy D. Williams, Jack Warden is in this movie, and it's based on the real-life relationship between Brian Piccolo and Gale Sayers. In fact, Gale Sayers wrote the part of the book and the movie. And uh yeah, it's one of those things that that Piccolo uh, comes down with a illness and is diagnosed and he's dying and it, it carries through that whole thing. Hmm. But yeah, grown men will will admit that they cried during that movie.
3: That last name kinda sounds familiar. Which one? Really? <laughs> Piccolo. Oh well Wow Dave.
2: I know I lost that Dave's one. not the smartest I'm not I'm machete. not on top of it. Words hard me. Words Bad the words, hard. Okay, uh, next up, two thousand six. We are Marshall, Matthew McConaughey, Matthew Fox, and Anthony Mackie. Uh, this is the true story of the Marshall University football team. The season before, uh, seventy-five people that were including teammates and and uh, sponsors and fans were killed in a plane crash, and and this is them picking up the pieces the next season.
3: Yeah, you know, starts. You know, they basically have to rebuild their entire program. In fact, um, they were gonna. Completely just cancel the program, too. They didn't want to rebuild at all.
2: So that one and that one is a really good flick that's sitting out there. Uh, This one here, a little controversy lately. Okay. But it's 2009's The Blind Side, starring Sandra Bullock, Tim McGraw. Kathy Bates was in this. Uh, Sandra Bullock actually won an Oscar for this movie about uh, them taking a, 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 a man off of the streets. And let's face it, at the size that he was, he was a man. <laughs> um, off of the streets, welcoming him into their home and, uh, you know, taking off and things like that. Uh, as I said, le- recently, uh, it's come under fire a little bit because they're starting to say that the, the way that the movie went down is not how it went down in real life. And the family that adopted Michael or... or quote unquote adopted him, uh, really are the only ones that have reaped the benefits from the blind side.
3: Yeah, I was reading an article that uh, he hasn't received anything from it.
2: Yeah, so there's that one. Uh, The funny thing about it is, and I I guess it's just, it's the world that we live in. Um, There are actually people thinking that Sandra Bullock should give her Oscar back for this movie. I'm Why? like she had nothing to do with yeah. what happened in real life. Yeah, it was still just, a tremendous. That's just performance. People being stupid. Yeah, that's. I think you're right. Uh, other honorable mentions in that category: Invincible. That one is with Mark Wahlberg oh, as okay. a uh, you know a, a common man that gets a spot on the Philadelphia Eagles roster. Rudy, everybody I think knows the story of Rudy Rudiger. Yeah. So um, you know, a, a very undersized young man that uh, wanted to play for Notre Dame and. In the movie he eventually does. In the movie he eventually does. And then this one came out, I think it was a couple years ago. Uh, I remember watching it on a plane. Uh, American Underdog. It's the Kurt Warner story, which is really just a feel-good story. If you don't know who Kurt Warner is, uh, this is a guy that was completely almost out of football, working at a grocery store when he got called up to the Iowa Barnstormers of the Arena Football League. Um, somebody saw something in him, and he ended up getting drafted or getting uh, signed by the then St. Louis Rams, and led them to the Super Bowl. So great movie out there. All right, now the other category. This is the funny ones, okay? And this was a lot of you know the, a lot of hard research on this one for me. So I'm going to call this section just for laughs. And the first movie in just for laughs is Little Giants, and I love this movie. <laughs> Maybe more than somebody should. But this is one of those remote drop movies when it's on, I'm done for the night. You say that about a lot of movies. I know. I know. My nights are taken care of. Uh, <laughs> this one came out in 19. Dave's just done. Right. It's coming out in Don't 1994. Call him after five. Uh, Rick Moranis, Ed O'Neill, John Madden, Emmett Smith, Bruce Smith, Tim Brown is in this movie. Uh, the O'Shea brothers, which are, ma- um, are, are on different ends of the football spectrum, so to speak. Uh, Kevin, which is Ed O'Neill, is a very successful, uh, did everything right in high school as the football star in the town. And Danny, which is played by Rick Moranis, just was kind of on his brother's coattails and was not really a sporty guy. And Rick Moranis decides that he's going to take and put a team together of everybody that Ed O'Neill did not want. And they end up playing at the end of the movie. Uh, I I love this movie. It's a lot of fun. It really is. It
3: was. Was this one of uh, Rick Moran's last movies?
2: Could have been. Could have been. You know, I read another little piece of trivia about this movie. This movie was loosely based, I believe it was, on a 1990 Super Bowl commercial for McDonald's. Steven Spielberg saw that commercial and he caught a hold of the guy that wrote this movie and said, we need to come up with a treatment for this because this could be a really funny story. So there you have it. Uh, Necessary Roughness, 1991. Scott Bakula, Robert Loggia, and Hector Elizondo. The Texas State University armadillos are put on waivers and they have to put a football team together with whoever. And Scott Bakula is a 40-year-old quarterback that still has was that one year of eligibility left yes sinbad is a teacher at the university (laughs) that has eligibility left they just find whoever they can to put a team together and then once they get the team together they decide you know what we're going to play both sides of the ball so yeah (laughs) they get kathy ireland to be their kicker um this it's a pretty fun movie. It really is.
3: It is. It is. He's got uh, Rob Schneider as the uh, announcer.
2: Yeah, he's in that too. I, I, I liked this he movie. He used to be in everything in the 90s. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, speaking of another movie that Rob Schneider was in, The Water Boy. Yeah. 1998, Adam Sandler, Kathy Bates, and the Fonz, Henry Winkler. Bobby Boucher goes against his mama's wishes and plays foosball. Foosball's for the devil. This, uh, I will be totally honest with you. There are people that love this movie. This is not one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies. No, no. I put this right like up again. This one's above Little Nicky for me when it comes to Adam Sandler movies. You don't like Little Nicky? No, Little Nicky was a terrible movie.
3: <laughs> Who this movie. Are wasn't... you? What was your favorite? Big Daddy.
2: Uh, you know what? I'll be totally honest with you. It's uh, my favorite movies are. I I loved him in. If you want talk comedies. Yeah. You want talk comedies? Probably my favorite Adam Sandler movie. Is it's either Happy Gilmore or The Wedding Singer? Okay, one of those two. Uh, More serious side, Spanglish for me is a great movie with Adam Sandler in it, and my wife loves Punch Drunk Love. She can't get over that movie. But um, this one, it's a fun movie. It's it's a good time, but it's you know one of those guys where the water boy makes the team and takes them to the bourbon bowl and they won. <laughs> yes. All right. Another one. Another Adam Sandler movie. This is there's actually two movies. The Longest Yard, the original came out in 1974 and the and the Adam Sandler version came out in 2005. The 74 version had Burt Reynolds in it as the lead and Eddie Albert as the uh, warden. And then in the 2005 version, you had Adam Sandler, uh, Burt Reynolds, and James Cromwell, babe's friend, played the warden in this one. Uh, Paul Crewe gets thrown in prison. And uh, let's just say that the warden isn't exactly going and doing things by the book. And he he puts a football team together.
3: Yeah, well, there's a a uh, state penitentiary league in Texas. Yes, is what the the movie's based around, and they haven't. uh, His team hasn't won for a number of years, and so he want you know, if he can get a pro athlete to help coach his team.
2: There you have that one, and then this one, probably my favorite football movie. Seriously, and I sat and just watched this one the other night, The Replacements. It uh, came out in the year 2000. Uh, Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman, Jack Warden, Orlando Jones, John Favreau, Reese Iphens is in this movie, <laughs> and it's loosely based on the 1987 player strike of a owner that wants to put a team together to compete throughout the remainder of the season. I I, I really like this movie. This was a it fun was, one. It
3: was a good one. Keanu Reeves did a really good job, this being... Uh, the lead actor who um, basically he didn't want to play football no didn't want to. he just can't you know gene hackman's character the coach you know kind of nagged him to come to practice one day and as soon as he gets there the players the professional players that are on strike
2: tip his car tip over his car
3: over yeah
2: <laughs> uh, the, honestly though the best scene in the whole movie is the second time they tip his car over
3: oh uh, yes yes <laughs> And let's let's not forget uh, John Fairview's character. Oh. Every, every time they kick a field goal, he basically destroys the kicker in celebration. That's
2: right. Uh, other honorable mentions in the the just for last category. North Dallas Forty is an older movie, came out in seventy four. Nick Nolte, Mac Davis. That's a good one. Wildcats with Goldie Hawn. Love Woody Harrelson movie. is yeah. in that movie. Nipsey Russell is in that movie. <laughs> That is a great film. And then Varsity Blues, which was kind of a uh, maybe it's more of a dramedy, I don't know.
3: It was kind of like a Friday Night Lights. It's a less spin-off. serious
2: Friday Night Lights, let's put yeah. it that way. Still a good movie. All right, then The Best of the Rest, Draft Day. One of my favorite movies. Very good movie. you know, I would sit and watch that one too. That might be another Kevin remote Costner dropper. That
3: was amazing in
2: there. Uh, Lucas, I don't know if you remember Lucas. That was with Charlie Sheen. No. That's an older one. All the Right Moves is a Tom Cruise movie Mm -hmm. from back in the 80s. Uh, Leatherheads, which kind of deals with the startup of the NFL. It's got John Krasinski and George Clooney's in that one. The Program, James Caan, was what. uh, basically, I would say it's almost kind of like... Uh, maybe it kind of like remember the Titans, that kind of vein. Yeah. Just bringing a team together. And then the last one that I've got on here, Any Given Sunday. And that movie was really good. Cameron Diaz, as an NFL owner, her head coach was Al Pacino. Cool yes. uh, J's in this movie. So uh, not a bad movie. So get ready. Go watch those movies. They're all available on streaming services. You can find them now and just get ready for the football season. All right, coming up, we're revisiting CGI versus practical effects. We'll be right back.
0: All right, in the souls, everyone quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment three, and action.
1: What's up? this first-time segment goes better than Ryan Reynolds' attempt at the Green Lantern? Yikes! There's no question that today's movie technology has advanced past our wildest dreams. Sometimes a special effect in a movie looks so real, it can take your breath away. Like the very first time the T-Rex appeared in Jurassic Park. But for every jaw-dropping moment, we do get a CGI debacle, like the Scorpion King and Mummy Returns. Sometimes it's better to stray away from CGI. We all remember the mustache ride that DC gave us with Henry Cavill and Justice League. Right, Dave? These DC jokes just write themselves. <laughs> Let's compare the two methods. It's practical versus CGI.
2: So we approached this one a little differently than we did the last time. Yes. And we kind of went through and made a list. Of the best practical effects in movies and the most unnecessary CGI effects in movies. And if they're unnecessary, that means they're pretty much garbage to begin with, right? Yeah. And you will probably say as far as the most unnecessary CGI effects in movies, the entire Flash movie. Just putting that out there. Your
3: your word's not mine.
2: (laughs) No, I I thought I'd beat you to the punch. All right, so let's start with best practical effects. Uh, The funny one is that you look on a bunch of, you read a bunch of different articles. This one always pops up, but I'll let you be the the bearer of bad news. Bruce the Shark from Jaws.
3: Yeah, so uh, Bruce the Shark, you know, it was an animatronic and it never worked. Didn't, wouldn't work at all. Well, let
2: me be totally honest with you. I went to Universal Studios in Hollywood uh, ten years ago. It didn't work that day yeah, either. Still
3: didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, when they were filming Jaws, um, they they wanted the shark to be in it a lot more, but it wasn't working because of the seawater and the corrosion and stuff. So, um, so that's why uh, the movie's really suspenseful, and the soundtrack plays a real key factor in that. And so, when you do see the shark for the first time. It's just horrifying. It's an event. Yeah, when he pops out of the water and he's like, "Oh, we're gonna need a bigger boat."
2: Yeah, and and that was the whole plan behind that movie. Is is yeah, and, and I think and I think that's why, honestly, with Bruce the shark not working, that's what made Jaws the movie work.
3: Yeah, is because you were horrified because it was the unknown.
2: You can't see underwater. So, so there's that one. Uh, and if you go to Universal Studios, uh, hopefully he works for you. He just didn't for me that day. <laughs> um, all right, this one here, I think it's one everybody remembers. It was the exploding White House in Independence Day.
3: Yeah. So basically, they just got a miniature uh, miniature White House, and they they rigged it to explode. You know, uh, and then they also added CGI. You know, with the uh, the. The laser or whatever coming out of the spaceship, but uh, the explosion coming out of the White House—you see—it's all practical.
2: And and that's really once again what made it so realistic. Yes, is, yeah. is things were flying everywhere, and yep. they and, got a yeah.
3: uh, they got a phantom camera to capture the explosion. So that's why when it explodes, it starts out slow, and you you see all the little. Uh, Details of the smoke and the glass flying everywhere because it's the phantom camera, you know, it's I think it's like a thousand uh frames per second, so they can slow that down to make a slow motion.
2: But the other thing about it is it worked for the effect and it made the effect yeah. that much more effective, exactly. All right, uh, this one here, uh, the baby xenomorph in the movie Alien
3: basically, all the aliens and aliens, this you know, this was back, uh. Before uh, computers were really used for special effects. So all the aliens actually were uh, body suits, uh, little puppets, or even stop motion.
2: And if you've never seen I highly suggest you watch. It's on Netflix, the movies that made us. There's one on there about Alien. And it, it shows you the queen yeah. That was just a guy in a suit.
3: Yeah, and if I recall, the original one looked like just a giant garbage sack yeah. monster. Yeah,
2: they were in garbage sacks, and yeah. they and they formed around that and worked off of it from there. Yep. So that one was pretty good. Um, exploding head from the movie Scanners.
3: So exploding heads are a little more difficult because you got to get a mold of the head, and it's got to look semi-realistic.
2: Re- right, but I, I will say this. This was one of those movies... Scanners is Dave David Cronenberg movie. Uh, it's about people that can manipulate things with their mind control and, and everything like that. Uh, this movie was one of those movies that when we when I was little, I, I don't know how old I was when HBO came to Carbon County. But anyway, it was one of those movies that I caught at like six o'clock in the morning. And I would always catch that scene <laughs> with the head exploding. And, I, and, and it's just kind of stuck with me. Uh, the other one that's always kind of stuck with me is at the end of the first Friday the 13th movie when they cut the lady's head off. Oh, yeah, That one's always stuck with me, too. And I actually read on the, the scanners the, the effect, the way they did it. They actually had a mannequin, and they had filled the head full of, like, kidneys and liver and things like that. Yeah. And then off screen from the backside of it, they shot it with a shotgun. <laughs> and that's how they got that effect. Yeah, it, it works. <laughs> it, it definitely worked. All right. This one is, is more of a recent one. The hallway scene in Inception.
3: Yeah. So the Inception hallway scene, they went crazy with this. They built a giant rotating stage uh, in order to get that effect as uh, they're walking down the hallway and then the, the, uh, the entire hallway starts turning. And you know, they you see him falling onto the on the walls and on the ceiling and just kinda running down the hallway where they're fighting. That was just a giant machine that they made. A giant basically like a, imagine a cement mixer. Yeah, just tumbled. But yeah, but a giant hallway. So there was that one, another one that was kind of
2: built that way as well. All the way back, and I believe it was the late 60s, uh, the jog scene from 2001 A Space Odyssey, that whole set rotated.
3: Yeah, so it's it's not, you know, it's not a, a new concept to rotate a scene. It's just, uh, it cost a lot of money to do that.
2: All right. Um, then the movie Mad Max Fury Road, George Miller wanted realism, so the whole movie is practical effects.
3: Yeah, he wanted to go back to the Mad Max roots, you know, because uh, back in the day, Um, the uh, Aussies are amazing at doing car scenes. If you ever watch any of the old Mad Max movies, the car scenes are amazing. And he wanted to bring that to modern day. And I think he did a really good job with that.
2: And then the one that everybody has to know the trench scene from star Wars at the end of the movie.
3: Yes. uh, If you're not familiar with that, it's Luke goes into uh, a little trench area to shoot a little, laser through a little tiny hole and they did that with miniatures
2: and and they did it with miniatures and you can actually watch there's plenty of movies out there about the making of star wars and yep. it shows them with the crane and going through that trench and filming it that way so those are some of the best practical effects before we get into the cgi unnecessary cgi i found an interesting fact the most complex cgi moment in cinema history is devastator Yes. From The Revenge of the Fallen. Now, to put it in perspective, the Optimus Prime CGI has about 10,000 moving parts. Devastator had over 80,000 moving parts. Yeah, well, you
3: had five robots turning to one. Right,
2: hooking together. 32 gigabytes of computer space. Yep. And I thought that you might find this funny because of what, you know, the way you discuss rendering around here. Uh, after one night of rendering footage at the ILM Render Farm, the hardware actually exploded.
3: Oh, yeah. People <laughs> don't realize that rendering, you're, when you render something, you're basically smoothing it out and compressing it to where a 500 gigabyte project comes out to be like 250. You know, it smooths everything out and makes sure the music's good, makes sure all the scenes are smooth. So, yeah, it's going to take it takes a lot of memory, a lot of RAM. A lot, you have to have a really, really good computer in order to render. And especially if it exploded. That is insane.
2: Must They, they must have needed to more air conditioners. It sounds like they should have filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. All right. So now that we've talked about that. Not that it was. So let's talk about unnecessary CGI. Devastator was necessary CGI.
3: Yeah. well, you, He was a giant robot
2: destroying a pyramid. That's right. That's the only way that's going to happen. Um, unnecessary CGI, though. First one that came to my mind because my kids talk about it. People talk about it all the time. The baby in Twilight.
3: Why? It looked dead. It looked spooky and creepy. And speaking of baby CGI, do you remember the Ally McBill dancing baby? Yes, that was yeah, frightening. Yeah, that was horrible as well. Did they get the same team?
2: I don't know if they did or not, but this is why it's unnecessary. You couldn't just find a regular baby.
3: Yeah, just... They make they make fake babies. You know, ever heard of a cabbage patch at all? You know, you don't have to show the baby's face or moving or anything. They're just holding the baby.
2: hmm But we know we had to show the face. Yeah. We had to show the Get face. Get a real baby. That's what I'm saying. All right. Then this one, and you had to ask me about this one. Blade Trinity. And if you read anything about Blade Trinity, you find out how horrible Wesley Snipes was to everybody on that set.
3: Yeah, it was, it was bad. You know, I thought um, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel did a good job in the movie. But, you know, when, when I watched it when it came out, I was like, oh, this is so cool. But now, as I'm older, I go back and watch it. And I was like, Rusty Snipes can't act. <laughs>
2: Obviously not, because he wouldn't do what was asked of him. There is a scene where he's lying on a slab, supposedly dead. And for the scene, they wanted his eyes open. He would not open his eyes, so they had to digitally put CGI eyes on Wesley Snipes. And if you watch the scene, they're terrible.
3: Oh yeah, they are. It's horrible. You look at it and it's frightening.
2: Right there, you go.
3: And you got to remember, this is right before he got in trouble for tax evasion. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. he needed the money.
2: He definitely did. Uh, maybe one of the most unnecessary. John Wick. There is digitized dog poop in John Wick.
3: Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. That's why it's unnecessary. They, they could have went to the dog park and got some. But uh, no, no. Let's let's CGI that.
2: Can we not find anybody to do it? Is that what the problem was?
3: Mel a Snickers in a Twix bar. Do something, something. Come on, people. Something.
2: X Men Origins Wolverine, which was just a bad movie to begin with, but the the CGI claws for Wolverine in the movie were horrible. They did not look. They did not look good at all.
3: Yeah. The the whole. It, it was it was just a bad. But the bad, movie was terrible to begin horrible with. Horrible movie. What they did with, um, Deadpool in that yeah, movie. Yeah, not good. And honestly, the whole story was just weird. It was. And, you know when, uh, it was shooting lasers out of his eyes, and when they were on top of that smokestack. It's yeah. Yeah. It's all just. It just needs to go. Yeah,
2: we're we're done talking about that movie. And then this one here might be the most unnecessary of all. In the new movie Vacation, the new one with Ed Helms and Christina Applegate, there's a scene in there where she's chugging a pitcher of beer. That is a digitized pitcher of beer.
3: Yeah, well, uh, Christina Applegate was going through some health issues at that at during the filming, um, but yeah, so I get know, it. They, I get that part. You know, they could have altered it. Um, not necessarily. You know, they could have put. Um, uh, you know, like apple juice or something like that, like just fill it halfway and CGI some of it, but then get her f- actually drinking the end part. It would have been a lot better than the whole thing because uh, it just doesn't look.
2: It does not, does not look good.
3: That, that that would have been a perfect, perfect use for using practical and CGI together.
2: As long as it blends and it works
3: right. Exactly. Like we talked about Jurassic Park last time, you know, that was a perfect blend. This, this could have been another, Learning opportunity, but there, no. I know. I know. All right. So that's going to do it for us. Once again, get out there, see movies, have
2: fun, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.